We'll continue with our series on the book of Esther and today we're looking at Mordecai who foils an assassination plot. Mordecai foils an assassination plot. Esther chapter 2 verse 21 through to 23 we'll be looking at. Just a few verses there. And this morning we'll learn some lessons from those few verses where details are given of a fiendish plot to kill King Ahasuerus or Xerxes of the Medo-Persians. The plot was foiled by Queen Esther, by her adoptive father Mordecai. He informed on the would-be assassins. Let's just have a look at um, Esther chapter 2 verses 21 through to 23. In those days, while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthan and Tiresh, of those which kept the door, were wroth, and sought to lay hand on the king Ahasuerus. And the thing was known to Mordecai, who told it unto Esther the queen, and Esther certified the king thereof in Mordecai's name. And when inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out. Therefore they were both hanged on a tree, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king. Prior to Esther's marriage to King Ahasuerus, Mordecai could be seen pacing up and down the women's house, where Esther and all the other fair young virgins who had been selected from the 127 provinces of the empire, they'd been rounded up, and one of them would ultimately become the replacement for Queen Vashti, who had been dethroned because of her refusal to show her beauty before all the people when King Ahasuerus held a feast for the people at Shushan. Do you remember that? In chapter 1, King Ahasuerus, he was busy showing off all all that he had. In fact, he had a party for the people of the palace, for the nobles, that lasted half a year. Anyway, so all these fair young virgins, they were placed into the custody of Hegi, the king's chamberlain, However, after Esther's coronation, Esther, who was a Jewess, and she was chosen by the king to be his new queen, after she was crowned, Mordecai entered into the service of the king. As such, he sat in the king's gate. As well as Mordecai, others sat in the king's gate, other employees of the palace, including two men called Bigthan and Tevesh, They were angry and they sought to kill the king. As to why they they were angry, we're not told. But as chamberlains, they were well placed to execute their fiendish plan. Somehow or other, Mordecai found out about their evil intent. Maybe he heard them talking, we don't know. But he found out about the evil intent of Big Than and Tevesh and he told his adoptive daughter... Esther, and she in turn made it known to the king. We are specifically told that she mentioned Mordecai's name 
probably with a view to ingratiating Mordecai to the king, to her husband. Inquiries were made and the conspirators were found guilty. They were hanged on a tree and a record was made. Significantly, although there is no mention of it in these verses, Mordecai's name was also recorded in the Chronicles. Not only was his name given to the king by Esther, but it was recorded in the in the chronicles that were made. That's it. That's the passage, really. But there's a few considerations from it, a few lessons that we can learn from those verses. First of all, love your neighbour. In this world, opportunities often present themselves for people to be of service to others and to help others, regardless of their position, their social class, their rank, colour, anything else. doesn't matter. We all have opportunities to help others. In our passage, Mordecai had occasion to help, not only help him, but save the life of the king. What he did for the king was immense. And in time to come, the king would, with great appreciation, remember the man who sat at his gate and he would, in time to come, reward him for saving his life. But there is something infinitely greater than that any one of you who is a Christian can do for others. What is infinitely greater that you can do for other people than even warning them that someone wants to kill you. I mean, that's that's great in itself. You can pray for and make the most of the opportunities that come your way, that not that might come your way, but that do come your way, to witness to others from the least in our land to the greatest, to the end that they might know Jesus as their saviour from sin and their Lord. I most certainly have a great and abiding appreciation and a fondness for people who spoke to me, who came out of their comfort zones, because as Christians, we know how hard it is to speak to others about Jesus. It shouldn't be, but it can be difficult. Well, I'm so thankful to God that people spoke to me. And there were, and I, and there were others who prayed for me. There are those I, I know of who prayed for me and no doubt there are a whole load more who prayed for me. I don't even know them. But this is important, isn't it? It's about getting your priorities right and if you're a Christian in here, if you want to help people, tell them about Jesus and his gospel. Think very seriously about the following Wouldn't it be great to plunge into a river and to save someone from drowning? That would be pretty good, wouldn't it? If you could save someone's life like that. But infinitely greater would be to be an instrument in that same person's salvation. Once you've dragged them out the river and you've got them on the river bank, to speak to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Or perhaps if it's not uh, convenient then, later, over a nice cup of tea or something, to talk to them about the gospel of Christ. Forgiveness of sins through faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Or imagine crossing the road with someone who doesn't see the bus that's coming. What is your automatic reaction if you're with that person? You see a bus coming, they don't see it. Your automatic reaction would be to grab hold of them and to pull them back or to stop them from moving any further. Wouldn't it be great, indeed greater, if it was also your automatic response to tell hell-bound sinners about Jesus? An automatic response. When you're talking to people, you're quietly thinking and praying for opportunities to jump in with the gospel. Secondly, we can consider Christian rewards. In Esther chapter 2, verse 21 to 23, our passage, we see nothing more than a record being kept of the good that Mordecai did for the king. However, the rewards would come later, with Mordecai being spared from being hanged on a tree. We'll see that later on in the book, that someone had it in for the Jews, a man by the name of Haman. He had it in for the Jews, and he most certainly had it in for Mordecai. But the king spared Mordecai from being hanged on the gallows, and also Mordecai received a promotion. If you are saved from your sins by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then God has prepared a work for you to do in this world. Sounds very much like a um, works religion. It's not. If you are saved by the grace of God, God has a work for you to do in this world. And the rewards will come later. For example... The New Testament speaks of Christians receiving various crowns, such as an incorruptible crown, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, a crown of rejoicing, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, a crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, a crown of life, James chapter 1 and verse 12, and a crown of glory, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4. Whether they are five crowns or just one crown with five different descriptions, I don't really know. But whatever they are, don't get carried away with the idea that you're going to have that crown or all those crowns on your head in heaven and you're going to walk around looking very regal with all those crowns, with your chest puffed out and no doubt you'll be boasting about the things that you did while you were in the world. It doesn't happen that way. There is no boasting in heaven. And your only boast will be in the Lord Jesus Christ as you are worshipping him and adoring him. So you will not be filled with self-importance in heaven. The fact of the matter is that any good works that you do as a Christian are not of yourself, but rather they are entirely of the Holy Spirit who works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. As such, dear Christian, your good works are the fruit and the evidence of a genuine and lively faith in Jesus. The fruit and evidence of a lively faith faith by the grace of God in Jesus. That can be seen in Matthew chapter 25, which looks ahead 
to the day of judgment. The Lord Jesus Christ shall sit on his throne of judgment and he will say to all who have been saved from their sins by the grace of God, Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Wouldn't it be lovely to hear those words from Jesus at the judgment? Receive your inheritance prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungered and ye gave me food. I was thirsty and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger and ye took me in. Naked and ye clothed me. I was sick and ye visited me. I was in prison and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee? Or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. In those words there's not even a hint of the people, the righteous, those who have a heavenly inheritance, having done what they did in order to merit salvation. When did we do these things, they say to Jesus? They simply did what they did, because that is what born-again Christians do, with God's enabling grace. Any works that proceed from the flesh and not the spirit are not acceptable to God. It has to be of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure and proceeding from someone who is born again by the Spirit of God. As the 1689 Baptist Confession says, when we have done all we can, we have done but our duty and are unprofitable servants. And because they are good They proceed from his spirit. And as they are wrought by us, they are defiled and mixed with so much weakness and imperfection that they cannot endure the severity of God's punishment. The good works, so-called good works, that proceed from anyone who is not trusting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ Those works are sinful and cannot please God because they do not proceed from a heart that is purified by faith. People really need to understand that. There is nothing that you can do that will earn a round of applause from the angels in heaven. Nothing that you can do in and of yourself that will get you the thumbs up from God and earn you a place in heaven. Nothing. In fact, if you are not trusting in Jesus for your acceptance before God, far from pleasing God with your works, his holy and righteous anger abides on you because of your rejection of the truth. Coming back to those crowns, dear Christian, what are you who, all said and done, are a sinner saved by the grace of God going to do 
with that crown or those five crowns that you receive? What do you, what do you imagine that you will do? Let's have a look at what the 24 elders in heaven do with those crowns. In Revelation chapter 4 verses 10 and 11, it is written, The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. All glory to God. Whether it's on earth or in heaven. Thirdly, we can consider the uncertainty of life. The mighty king of the Medes and the Persians, Ahasuerus, who spent half a year showing off the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honour of his excellent majesty, even he nearly lost his life at the hands of two of his disgruntled servants. If it were not for the fact that Mordecai found out and reported their intentions to his adoptive daughter, Queen Esther, then it would have been all over for that mighty king. As it happens, history tells us that King Ahasuerus was eventually assassinated by his chief bodyguard. Whether you are the king of a vast domain or a soldier ducking bullets whistling over your head in battle or whether you are just plain old you working in an office or a shop or whatever you do, you're doing, you should never underestimate the uncertainty of life, the fleetingness of life. That does not mean that you need to be completely preoccupied and obsessed and paranoid with the realisation that next time you cross a road you might be run over or the cup of tea that you drink after this, after this service might be laced with arsenic. However, I don't want to make you paranoid by the way. <laughs> However, it would be very foolish and reckless to go through life taking it for granted that you will see a new day and that you will even draw your pension. I know people who never live to draw their pension. Quite a few of them. I know people who never draw on all those insurance policies that they have or anything. Most of us know people whose lives have unexpectedly been taken from them. That could just as well happen to you as it did to a rich young farmer that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke about in one of his parables. Jesus said that the farmer had a bumper crop, so much so that he built bigger barns to store all his produce. The farmer said, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink and be merry. That's what King Ahasuerus was doing, wasn't it? Eat, drink and be merry and showing off all that he had to his subjects for half a year. But God said unto him, You fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be 
which thou hast provided. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Jesus was not saying that it's wrong to have earthly possessions, but he most certainly was warning against making those earthly possessions your priority. As Jesus also said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the most important thing of all. And all these things shall be added unto you. In other words, first and foremost, believe that the Lord Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law's demands on your behalf and that he has reconciled you to God by the blood of his cross. That should be your top priority as a matter of eternal importance. I say this lovingly, but there's some people I feel like shaking them at times. People who hear this message week after week and nothing seems to change with them. But it should be your top priority being reconciled to God, having peace with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we finish, if there is anyone who has not yet received from God the good and the perfect gift of salvation through salvation from sin through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then it doesn't matter what you have, what you hope to achieve, or anything like that. Don't be a fool. Repent. Be baptised for the forgiveness of your sins. For now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Amen.